I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their backend stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site-centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Thank you, Viva. What is up, Guru Nation? Darshan? Let me get my producer. Hold on. Producer, turn off music. Thank you. There you go. See, these productions, the more you put into it, it's, like the more people are behind it. You know, the harder This is a high production value. I mean, it's it's first this, then the Today Show, then then I think it's uh, Brad Hightower's program because oh, we Brad, know he got he hair extensions. Let's be honest. Brad doesn't need a team <laughs> when he's got that voice. You know, he could be like the late night DJ um, giving out shout outs <laughs> on your ride home. <laughs> Brad has a second career in, in radio if he ever wants one. I mean, just by the voice. Oh, or he could do uh, Audible and audiobooks. Audible, that's right, that's right. By the way, Darshan, well, we'll get into that later. Everybody knows Darshan Kulkarni. If you don't, I mean, I I really don't know why you don't. You should. There's not too many people discussing regulatory in life sciences, particularly as it pertains to the FDA um, and also as it pertains to communications that pharma sponsors are allowed to have there's it's a highly regulated industry you need people like darshan in there why darshan i mean you're the only guy basically right that goes public with this kind of info like the sub niche of a niche <laughs> um i i don't know if it's i mean it's something Who i, I passionately care about there's no one else. Uh, I don't know if there are too many people. I think it's just me, as far as I know. Uh, and I, I, the way I think about it, I think I think my podcast uh, has been evolving. Hey, Jesse, how are you? Good morning Jesse, from Philadelphia. What up? CRA Academy <laughs> and CTA Academy. We got you, Jesse. We got you. Uh, no, I I end up doing a lot of sort of regulatory and compliance. That's my niche right now. That's sort of the the angle the the podcast has been focusing on, because there's really no one out there who talks about that conversation. So I'm talking about everything from privacy to uh, clinical research, how privacy affects clinical research, to um, how does that privacy concept apply in um, engaging with patients. Uh, engaging with doctors, um, and how does that play out, for example, into uh, genericization? And I just pick privacy, but I also do the same thing with anti-kickback, and I do the same thing with um, FDA regulatory. Like I'm, I've been pulled in multiple times this year um, into like uh, research non-compliance and research uh, fraud issues. Um, I, I've been fraud. doing like site audits, but not yeah. That's, Wait, you're getting um, into that's been really audits? interesting. You're yeah, well, I don't do site audits from a. <laughs> uh, oh, cool. I'm not. I'm not looking at an individual study. I'm looking more at the research compliance program to evaluate whether the program itself is compliant. Wow. Um, so so like I'm doing that across like, multiple groups. So, like, your uh, sites are hiring you to like do their QA checks, like 
periodic. Let's have an auditor so, come in. Boom. Yeah, sort of. So I, I'll get into QA checks if necessary. Um, I'm really doing at it more from a compliance program check. So, I, for example, I might work as HRPP. Um, do you, Do you know what an HRPP is, Dan? No, but I got a good. Here's your next episode for privacy. Hey, everybody, we don't have any. Goodbye. <laughs> Right. Uh, I'm actually trying to bring someone on who's a privacy expert because there's so much stuff, especially yeah. in California. California is like a beast. Um, but you've got Virginia and you've got Colorado. All And uh, there was actually a recent um, settlement in Chicago, in Illinois, under the uh, BIPA, I believe. So there are so many other angles to this. But uh, hey, Jesse. Jesse looks cool, doesn't he? Jesse's awesome, man. Latinos and clinker. Look at that hair. I- Advocate, CRA Academy student, CTA Academy student. He might not even know one of those three things, <laughs> but he is all three. I mean, here, here's my question, Dan. Between your hair and my hair, we still don't add up Jesse's hair. Oh, no, not even close. <laughs> not even close. Darshan. Uh, there's yeah. so much I want to get into. Everybody needs to go follow Darshan. You had a recent episode, apparently I missed it, about okay. INSYS. There was some controversy. Oh, around. yeah. Can you just... Oh, yeah. I mean, for my audience, that's probably similar to me. We don't even know what happened. Like, I missed out. I don't know what. Like, it was a juicy episode or something happened. Can you just give us, like, some storytelling? Yeah, so um, so I landed up. Uh, a, a guy reached out to me on LinkedIn. This guy's name is Alec Berlikoff. Alec um, was the VP of Sales for a company called Insys. For those people who don't know, Insys was one of the companies that um, got into trouble because of its its role in the opioid crisis. And Alec um, was was the VP of Sales. Um, hey Isabel, how are you? Um, and Alec, the, the one of the best parts of Alec is he actually. Well, let me get back to the best parts after t- telling his story. But um, Alec was a lifelong salesperson, and his journey started. I think he was a teacher at one point, uh, and had a master's in social work. So you're starting from that perspective of I'm trying to do good. Mm. He had one. Um, what one of his epic moments? So this is like actually just to just to be clear, it's like a five part series, I think five or six part. I'll have to double check. But um, the, he he started from that that initial portion of I want to help students. Uh, I, I'm coming from a social work background. Some guy, some rich person. I'm gonna avoid bad words, but rich person was parked badly. I told him to move, and the guy go and and he was smoking or something in the area, and I told him to stop that. And the guy goes, petty rules for petty people. And that sort of made Alec go, I, I need to do something different. I need to do something bigger. Went all the way up the food chain, VP of sales for Insys, and was uh, ensnared by the Department of Justice. Landed up serving two years, in, I think it's two years in prison. He did He's, two years in prison? He he did two years in prison. For what? Uh for uh, and again, we can we can add, you can listen to the whole podcast about this because there's so wow. much there. But it really was his role uh, in terms of giving kickbacks to physicians for prescribing opioids. Wow! So he was a sales rep. I need to listen to Correct. this, but basically, he was a sales rep for this drug company, which apparently still exists. Insist there. Uh, well, actually, the the founder is in jail. Uh, this was yesterday, day before yesterday's news. Uh, he, the founder, is a billionaire. Yeah, uh, the 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 fa- the founder I think last time I heard was something it's worth like two billion dollars or something like that. Um, so he's in jail right now. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I think he might still like be worth 20 two billion. Lawyers. There's twenty lawyers now <laughs> getting part of that two billion, so he's gonna be what a billion. <laughs> um, but he um he's basically saying that he's getting sick in jail. Um, so I don't know if the argument of 
Um, uh, affluence, I believe, is, is what they called it. Uh, you know, when, when the rich people can't go to jail? Uh, affluenza. Jail? Affluenza. I, okay, gotcha. Uh, so so um, my, my point is, I think his name's John Kapoor, if I remember correctly. Uh, but um, he... Wow played that role. So this is all still going on. Alec is still un, in paro- under parole or in parole. Uh, and he's he's sort of had this entire change of heart and he's going out there talking to uh, wow. schools and programs, going out there spreading the word. He actually put out a book. Um, and if anyone's interested, reach out to me. I'll give you a link to his book. It's on Amazon. I'm going um, to have to read it, listen to this, and have him on the show. This is Yeah, I mean, if you want, I'd be happy to connect you because he's great. Thank you. Wow. So what's this? I mean, I thought the opioid thing (laughs) was over. Like, apparently, just two days ago, somebody else goes to jail. Well, no, he didn't just go to jail. So John Kapoor's still in jail. He hasn't actually left. Uh, He's trying to get out. But the opioid thing is not over, just to be very clear. There is this there. Yesterday or day before his news again was that distributors and wholesalers are being sort of prosecuted. And there was some kind of settle, um, decision from the court saying that they can't be held liable in the same way. So there were, there, there's some limitation liability there as well. You know, we so did some it's of very active. Studies. We did some of those studies back in 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. It were really hard to get people in. It was like opioid withdrawal. And there, there was like yeah. eight pharma that combined to do one study. And you can tell that they were forced to do it by regulators so nobody <laughs> wanted a responsibility and they needed all these sites the study was impossible to get patients and just the other year just last year at my new site here in yuma yuma arizona um we were offered a similar study and i was like you know we're a new site i mean okay i'll be interested we did the feasibility and everything they gave us the selection letter and then nothing else happened like we were selected it was an opioid use withdrawal study, and we didn't get it. And in hindsight, I'm kind of glad. Like, I don't need to get into this kind of drama, even on the research side, with these kind of people well, going to jail and all this stuff, man. So so let's be clear about a few different things. So the issue is not the opioids part, right? So um, the, the fact is that people are in pain. They do need to be treated. One of the things um, we struggled with was this idea that um, we, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. I remember this is like uh, mid two thousands, and um, I was um, I went to India and I was talking to to a friend there who was a doctor, and he he had a person who literally had uh, diabetic uh, foot had a diabetic foot, and they were debriding it. And I was like, so are you guys giving this person opioids? They're like, no, he gets ibuprofen. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that was the standard. Or neuropathy. Um, and diabetic I was like, neuropathy. Yeah. Like it, it's, it, well, diabetic yeah. neuropathy would just be the neural pain associated with it but and the neurological symptoms associated with it. I'm talking about the actual – he was debriding and getting rid of, like, sloth tissue. Oh so how do you – and do, doing that under ibuprofen with ibuprofen seems like – they need more. Um, so there was there was that level of thing, and we we kind of went into this new version where everyone gets opioids, and the standard of care became opioids. And I remember I was a pharmacist at that time. Um, I'm still a pharmacist, but I was actively practicing as a pharmacist at that time. And I remember actively thinking at that time that that's the standard of care. Like we don't want to undertreat patients' pain, um, and that was like those were part of the JCO guidelines at that point where they would say things like, you don't want patients in pain. Appropriately so. But there's a balance out there, a balance that, quite quite bluntly, we didn't recognize. I don't know if that's a result of sales or that's a result of just um, uh, aiming for advocating for patients, if you will. But over time, that obviously got, excuse excuse my language, bastardized to... if you don't know the solution, just give them more opioids. And I remember again uh, working in a retail pharmacy, and someone coming in with like tooth pain and getting a thirty-day supply of of opioids uh, for that. And you're kind of going, Percocet doesn't make sense for thirty days for what is going to be maybe 
two days of, of um, tooth pain. Um, so that became a thing. And then suddenly the opioid crisis hit and suddenly no one was, was getting it. And we're back to being in the hospital where you, you're getting patients uh, with, um, I'm, I'm blanking on the, on the word for it, but you, you have patients with certain types of cancer pain where regular doses of opioids, a Percocet's like a 5, 325 dose, you're, you could be in the 800s to touch these, these patients' pain and you couldn't get it. You couldn't give it. And that's become that became the new issue. And that's what we're facing right now. So I don't think overall we need to stop research in that space. I think we need to come up with better, more optimized treatment strategies and better have a better escalation plan. Do you think better well, opioid pain treatment has done? Well, pain, better pain yeah. treatment strategies. And yeah. And and that might include opioids, let's be honest. Like that doesn't mean that there's no opioid treatments. It just means we're better. We're more careful about it. Yeah. But do you think it's still like if you're a site owner and you don't need the extra drama, like why take one of those studies if there's so much heat on it right now? Like why am I going to basically open the door for DEA and <laughs> FDA to come through just for no reason, just because I'm doing the study? I mean, you see my concern, right? But FDA is going to come through anyways. They can come no, to through, totally but they're likely to come through on these kind Are of high-profile studies. Yeah. I mean, that's my perception, at least. No, we're talking, remember, we're talking about sales is where the people got into trouble. And sales, kickbacks but, associated with it. Right, but because of all the limelight, isn't the limelight also now in the research? Like, anything associated with these kind of studies at this point, no? It's, let's, let's be honest, it's probably more limelight than not than compared to like the average, <laughs> yeah. say, I don't know, neuropathic pain study. Or um, just because you, like... yeah, the, an osteoarthritis study, yeah, I don't know. So, so it, or diabetes study, sure. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but shouldn't that be the case anyways, the moment you're dealing with the schedule two substances? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm at the point where like, I'm almost, we have a schedule two, our PI have them and I'm at the point where I'm not taking those studies if I don't need them. You're right. Right. It's a lot and, but here's my headaches. question. Would you do, would you do cannabis studies? Uh, we've tried. Uh, so there's mm -hmm. cannabis and there's psychedelics. Uh, sure. Yes to both for obvious reasons, but uh, they sound like fun. But when you actually, <laughs> when you actually look under the hood of some of these assessments, they're actually not that fun. So you need like specialized clinics that, especially for psychedelics, you need like these special rooms where it's almost not like a clinic. Like, you know, these people are leaving our dimension, basically. They're going somewhere else. When they come back, they don't want them to wake up like in a clinic setting. They want them to be like almost in a spa type of setting. <laughs> so to do that, like to, to turn your site into basically a spa, that's very specialized type of research. So yes, I would, but no, I don't think it's worth the ROI to change my site into a medical spa, basically, <laughs> just to do a few studies. And I think that's part of the problem, right? Uh, which is some people are not seeing this for the research that it is. They're seeing it as a uh, medical spa feeling. Uh, and I think that's that's where I would start getting more more worried because yeah. there are rules, and, and this is what a lot of people don't, don't even realize. There are rules from the Department of Justice for things like beneficiary inducements, which people don't even know exist. Um, but what beneficiary what inducements? Yeah, exactly. So payments may payments of any kind, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a cash payment. It it could be something like. Oh, we're gonna do this in a five-star resort that just happens to be situated um, next to the Super Bowl. That's a bit potential beneficiary inducement for the um, doctor. For the doctor. Well, the, so the beneficiary is the subject. Is the is the potential subject? Oh, so undue influence, coercion. Correct. That kind of stuff. I so see. you, and then there's healthcare practitioner inducement, which is really your kickbacks and the false claims and all that good stuff. Is the Sunshine Act still a thing? Sunshine Act is very much still a thing. <laughs> Everyone's still very much looking at that. So, 
Do you By the way, hi, hi, Brandon, the fellow pharmacist. Yeah, we're going to get... Thank you guys so much. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. We got Darshan Kulkarni on here. He's like a legend in this space. He's a pharmacist. <laughs> he's an attorney. He's got like... He's like the dean of Temple University. What do you do there? I'm like, not. Are you, you're not the dean. What, you're, that's I'm not kind the of dean role. of Temple University. With, I, I, I teach at Drexel University uh, where I teach uh, food and drug law. And I'm teaching... Uh, uh, I think I'm teaching promotional compliance this semester. Uh, I also will be giving a talk at Children's Hospital of Colorado where they do clinical research. Um, and I'm going to be giving a talk on uh, clinical research compliance, I believe. I can't remember the specific topic. Um, I had Temple that's going to be a few months. Reason. And like, weren't you affiliated well, with Temple at one point? So Temple, I have given guest lectures there. I oh. got my my JD from Temple, and I got my master's in quality assurance regulatory affairs from Temple. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so not the dean of Temple, my bad, but still involved <laughs> in the teaching setting. Like, what a cool teacher yeah. to have, man. Do your students like you? Can you be honest? Like, do they like you, or do they think? Actually, like, I believe they do. Okay. I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a pain in the beginning of the semester, I have to admit, because I tend to front load my courses because I don't want students who slack off in the beginning because that's when you really set the tone. But usually by the end of the semester, they love me um, because you've learned the information. Now you're applying the information. Extra credit if they <laughs> sub to your pod. No. <laughs> no, no undue no. influence, no coercion there. No undue influence, no beneficiary inducements. Uh, okay, so Sunshine Act still a thing. Where I'm, where I was getting at, like in my opinion. I don't think it's fair. Now, who am I? Who cares what I think? But in my opinion, as like a practical community-based site owner, I don't think it's fair that my PI gets attributed on this website with the gross pay that my site gets for all the studies they do. I don't think it's fair. It's so it's a little bit um, it's a little bit misleading to the public. Like if if my site makes 400k on one study right i mean half of that goes to staff pay overhead so really it's 200k net profit my site gets maybe my pi gets like 20 percent of that so maybe he's getting like 40k off of that 400k but on the sunshine act website it says he made 400k off of that and it's a little bit misleading so so two parts to that Number one, um, that just comes back to how your contracts get negotiated. And your contracts can't, you have to, as the PI, you can argue what that attribution was and go, no, 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 no. The contract was not with me, the PI. The contract, for example, was with my site. And therefore, so the attribution should not be. Absolutely. In fact, uh -huh. people do. In fact, you're allowed to. Um so the, there is actually a component in the Sunshine Act where you do respond and you go, this is a misattribution to me. That's not the payment that, that I got, but it comes yeah, back to the contract. So, for example, the contract is with the PI. Then, yeah, the, the 400,000. 400, so let's say your site was owned by Dr. Smith. Well, then the payment came to Dr. Smith. How did you know but, that really is actually his name? <laughs> is it really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was awesome, man. Sean also a psychic. <laughs> I'm also so, a psychic. What if what go. if Dr. Smith is a co-owner with me? Well, that, that's the, the uh, discussion and negotiation you have to have because it all comes down to um, to how you have you engage with the sponsor and you basically say no, no, um, this needs to be attributed in, in this way versus that way. Carol's asking a question: How would that be worded in the contract? Uh, I'm, it would depend on the contract itself. It would be specific, um, but it, it, over and, and plus, just to be clear, Dan, as as you always know, not legal advice. So, man, it's been so long. I'm so sorry. Not legal advice. Not <laughs> medical advice. You guys would be insane if it either. This is like either. Yeah, it's entertainment. Yeah, so it's entertainment. Um, but yeah, so so short version is you need to have that discussion. You need to you need to to explain to the sponsors that just because, for example, the PI, if if a physician is a co-owner, it doesn't mean that the money all goes to the physician. Right. If the physician is the PI and is not even the owner, doesn't mean the money all goes to the PI. 
And you you can negotiate that and put that into the contract. Now, some sponsors may object because their regulatory teams or their compliance teams may say, I have no way of sitting and looking at every single contract with every single physician and do it that way. Uh, But some some sponsors may say, okay, we can this is going to be part of our assumptions. And and that's how that gets put out. One of my sub eyes, this cool guy, we actually started a new show, the Dr. Joe show. He's you would love Dr. Joe. He's like this chemist and community-based clinician like so he has a he did an undergrad um chemistry he's like super organic chemistry insane he knows like every mechanism of action and then he's also a doctor in the clinic Mm -hmm. he works under uh dr smith so he's he's an employee of dr smith in the private practice uh but he i'm still laughing because that's a real dr smith but you probably get the spelling wrong it's s-m-y-t-h-e so you would have uh, Smythe. Yeah, but he says Smith. I thought it was Smythe at first. Uh, smart. But anyways, Dr. Joe. So he's a sub by he's he's new to research. And he was like terrified. He's like, no, I don't want he's very like I don't want to say anti pharma, but he's like an unconventional sure. doctor in the sense that he tries to get patients. He's almost like a naturopath, you know. Um his, his sure. philosophy, although he prescribes, I mean, I've seen him prescribe yeah. meds, but when it comes to being a sub, I, he's like, no, you know, I don't want money associated with my name from pharma. Even when reps come, yeah. he's like, no, no, we started off talking about reps. When reps come, he tells them straight up, like, I don't want to be brainwashed by you guys. You know, thank you for the sandwich. Um, I tried to <laughs> But he took the to sandwich? Him. Uh, if he's hungry, yeah. <laughs> That's still a payment. I don't know how to tell him this. That's still a payment. And he signs that log too when the reps come in. But point so is, just to be clear, was... though, j- uh huh. Go ahead. I'll let you finish no, your sentence. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Just to be no, clear. No, so payments under ten dollars are not reportable. Ah, well. So the sandwich may not count depending on the value of the sandwich. Um, I will also say that I am coming up with a piece of software that hopefully will address exactly this question. So I know this is for you to plug Viva, because let's be honest, you're wearing, you're wearing the shirt right now. But Thank you, Dar- you're making it so easy for me, man. Viva, shout out to Viva. <laughs> I forgot to do an intro at the beginning, but, so we'll, we'll edit it for the pod. That's fine. Uh, I'm actually coming up with a, um, a piece of software that's initially going to be used in the uh, clinical research, sorry, in the in the promotional space, but quickly following into the clinical research space on document sharing. So we'll talk about that at some point in the future as well. Um, but we've got Nelson. Tell Dr. Yeah, Joe to only be PI. There you go. Well, see, Dr. Joe, <clears throat> the goal for him is to eventually be a PI. But right now, he's just even afraid to be sub-I. So I'm, tell- I'm trying to um, tell him. And I'm not an attorney, but I'm trying to tell him, like, hey, only the PI's income really gets reported to... Not necessarily. But yeah, Not necessarily. It's any payment to a physician. Yeah, I think the other part, again, Nelson may be more up on this. I haven't looked at the rules in a while. But my recollection was the payment to the physician without a marketed drug is withheld until it becomes marketed. So it's not reported at that time, but it will be eventually reported is my recollection. So I don't know off I the top see. of my head, but um, that may be well, a clarification, say, if you will. Let's say Pfizer pays me, the site, Yuma Clinical Trials, right? Yeah. To do a study. And Dr. Smith is my PI, so he gets you know his share. And then we have Dr. Joe, who's amazing, but we only pay him based on like things he actually does like for the study. Um, so he's not getting paid from Pfizer. He's getting paid from Yuma Clinical Trials. Does that so, still get reported? Yeah, still gets reported. How, though? Like, do they use the financial disclosure forms as, like, the, the so, metric for... Nelson thinks I'm wrong. And again, I haven't looked at the rules in a little bit. So may, maybe Nelson's right. Nelson says no retroactive reporting. It's only PIs. I, I haven't looked at the rules in a little bit. He could be right. I That's not my recollection. But again, that Nelson's probably more up up on it than I am, so... Good for him. Nelson's coming to the SOS conference. So basically what I tell Dr. Joe is, look, man, even like the smartest two people I know on this space don't know. So I don't know. What to 
Let's just not be. No, a but that's why this is not legal podcast. advice, right? That's right. I, the, that's here, right. Here's, the, here's the beauty of this. The, a lot of these things, we're speaking off the cuff. This is why it's not legal advice. We're sort of going, this is my recollection the last time I looked, and this is sort of where I am. But I can look into it and give you a more specific answer. So Nelson may just have looked into it recently or just knows about it more recently. Look at Moderna. Just started reporting a few months ago. I'm not sure fully fact, I, I understand the context. The fact of the matter is, I think he's probably talking about the V word, which I don't want to end up in YouTube jail again. But um, <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a long story. But yes, um, fact of the matter is this is complex stuff that changes a lot. And, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you got to be like doing this on a daily basis to provide actual legal advice. In this case, we're just trying to provide a framework for how research site right. owners can operate in. Um, Nelson's coming to the SOS conference, by the way. Are you coming? Darshan, you're invited, man. I don't know. Like, do you have you not heard about this thing? It's a secret link. Well, I, it's, it's a secret link. Save our I, sites conference. I would yeah. love to be a part. I, I, I want to speak. I haven't heard. I, I figured I, I could help whenever I want. It sounds like such a great cause. And it's virtual. So I can't complain about that either. No, no, it's not. It's in person. It's in person. Oh, it's in person. February second, twenty twenty four, Tucson, Arizona, man, at my alma Ooh. mater, the University of Arizona. February in Arizona is nice. Oh, that's man. good. One of the best places in the country. <laughs> we can, we'll get you out there, Darshan. Uh, Rod <laughs> Raphael knows what's up. He already got tickets. Okay, Darshan, back. It's twenty twenty four. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Twenty twenty four. Yeah, it's next year. Um, oh, okay. Back to the sales reps. Okay. Yeah. Like, is this the area of focus lately for you? Or I know you've been doing like regulatory affairs as well. For so, I, yeah. so are you on the sales side? You're on the research side, and on the communication. I side? focus. So, so my focus is post IND onwards. So it'll be clinical research. So that, like I said, I'm doing things like uh, clinical research, uh, HRPP stuff. So human research protection program. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm actually the HRPP for a um, national cancer center. And I'm helping them with making sure that they're compliant with all these different rules. Uh, they are a national hospital. So that's kind of cool. Um, I'm, I'm working with... Um, medical device companies and biopharmaceutical companies and tech companies in the promotional compliance space. So what can you say? What can't you say to be compliant? Um, I have a lot of law firms right now who have engaged me um, because I I do a very, very specialized type of law, as you know. And um, the the point that because of that, I've been pulled into a bunch of different FDA-related issues like mergers and acquisitions, for example. So I was involved in a large pharmacy being bought out. Um, and what does that look like? Um, but coming at it more from a FDA perspective. So people are surprised when the FDA is involved in pharmacy because you're kind of going, isn't that more of a state board thing? It is, but depends on which version you're worried with, you're involved with. So I'm, I got pulled into that. Large food companies, I'm helping with those as well. So what claims can they make? What are the issues? Mm. So can you, for example, use the word natural? And um, and there's there's like there are like all these fights going on on the word natural. Um, there there are all these fights going right. on in the milk world around the word RBSD free. Meanwhile, I had no idea that's even a thing. Um, but there are literally lawsuits, millions of dollars worth of lawsuits over those words. Um, so wow. th- this is the space I get involved in, but. Clinical research, obviously, is a is one of my spaces, if you will. It's one of my core areas I focus on. Yeah, and people forget. I mean, in our side of this industry, that the FDA is really like what eighty percent food and like twenty percent drug. <laughs> Their resources, basically. It, it's it, it's it's. Ma- I don't actually know the breakdown, but you may be right because I and it's not even as simple as that because devices are bigger than drugs, which surprises a lot of people sure, as well. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially um, these days, like uh, increasingly so. Yeah, and and um, devices are there's such a broad range of devices. So you're talking about everything from health tech to the Jarvis Heart. So mm-hmm. when 
the FDA is getting into things like we can regulate some of the, we can regulate all of it, but we're choosing not to. So they, they get into what's called enforcement discretion. So that can create all kinds of meets and bounds and limitations. I got involved um, a few years ago in the area of um, bioenhancement and biohacking. I had a client um, and that was really, really cool because who do you think regulates biohacking? I mean, if it's just an individual like doing it on themselves, uh-huh. nobody, right? You're allowed yeah. to do whatever you want on yourself. But if nope. you start a YouTube channel, you're not allowed to do whatever you want on yourself. <laughs> what do you mean? That's the funny part. So, so let's assume you're just doing it to yourself, right? Um, yeah, and you're doing yourself. it to yourself, right? 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 Mm-hmm. So let's assume you are doing it just to yourself. Your your response? Oh, I've got Carol saying DEA. Well, then the question becomes, how'd you get that product? Um, but the it's it the last time I looked, and again, it's been a few years, but it was the CIA uh, and the FBI. And the reason was because you might be getting into things like biovectors, and you might be injecting yourself with things that um, could be spread. Oh, we're getting into a whole wow. different discussion. Are nootropics regulated at all? I, I opened up Pandora's box here. You opened Pandora's uh, box, and you might get me canceled with this. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Okay, we'll stop. We'll stop. Let, let's not talk about this. Jeez, um, this biohacking, uh, I am interested in that. Okay, Nelson, just to add some more clarity to the or clarification to the last conversation, Moderna has been paying researchers for a decade, but got its first marketed drug in 2021, only had to start reporting in June 2022 reporting period. I, well, I'd have Nelson's to look into it. it. Yeah, Nelson's on it. sounds like he's gets this question too. Like as a site owner, when I approach a doctor and he under he or she understands research, but they only understand like superficially. One of the things they're worried about is, well, what's my reputation going to look like? I don't want to be like this yeah. pharma peddler. You know, I like research, right. but I don't want right. to be perceived right. as like working for Pfizer because my patients trust me. That's a real concern. So the funny thing is, it is. But you know what's interesting? <clears throat> um, turns out there, there there are at least two schools of thought on this which I was surprised by. So like I was telling you, I'm bringing out the software and I've been trying to figure, to me, that would be a major issue, but I have a way to address the the Sunshine Act issue. When I speak to people in clinical research, they're like, this is a major issue. Thank you for solving this problem. But you speak to people in sales, they're like, most of our doctors don't actually care about this. I mean, it's it's fine that you have it. It's great, but they don't actually care. If they don't do research, I think they don't care. Right, because the speaker fees pale in comparison. I had a KOL doctor, PIN, KOL speaker, and it pales in comparison. Like the speaking fees, even if he just travels all day, all day, every day, compared to just doing yeah. like two or three research trials. Yeah, yeah, especially depending on how it's attributed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so because again, as as you and I were talking earlier, it comes down to exactly what negotiation you had and what gets attributed and what what doesn't get attributed to the physician. So right. instead of you being reimbursed, if you say you do the booking for me, then that payment becomes yours at all. I see. Yeah, I knew there's and there's always loopholes. Like I knew this one lady. Maybe you introduced me or somebody introduced me. She ran these conferences sales conferences for pharmas and oh yeah that, okay did you introduce me to this person or i think i did i haven't spoken to her in a long time but yeah she seemed nice to be honest she seemed to have figured out like how to make it work for both sides and then she's yeah. like doesn't care if she's the middle person because she's right. creating a value right. right there's so there's all yeah. kind of, this opens up all kinds of loopholes what is so- your so oh, the funny ahead. thing is, you you just mentioned a thing that's super hot right now. You talked about these conferences, and again, I, I so somehow this secret link message me. Okay, um, <laughs> had to get that in there. I, I I'm I'm throwing a little bit of a, a issue in the middle, so we'll we'll discuss that further if you want. But um, so you know, pharma pharma sponsors a lot of. Sponsors speaker programs, as you know. 
-hmm. Pharma also may do um, unrestricted grants, which may be used towards doing CMEs. So those those are both going on, right? So in 2020, um, the um, Office of Inspector General, so not the FDA, the Office of Inspector General put out a special fraud alert around speaker-based programs and essentially said pharma-sponsored speaker-based programs are inherently suspect. Wow. So They used that exact word, suspect? I mean, not. I don't think they used those exact words. I have to double check on it. But generally speaking, wow. that's. Oh, uh, let me see. If, let me see if I can pull it up. Hold on. Uh, I can getting, tell you because they're getting sus. That would be hilarious if that's. What uh, um... But so <laughs> you mean like okay? When I used to go to DIA or Bio, and they would have where... like sessions where doctors can go and get continuing education credits. Those you're saying those are like being called out as sus. sus. Well, here, here, I'm, I'm go- sus. Uh, get, here, get, uh, I'm trying to find where my screen with you went. Uh, hold on, there we go. Can you allow me to share? You can share. I think you can. Can you hit present? Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna try to do this. Um, allow. Can you see my screen? I see it now. Not yet. Yes. Oh, there we go. Yep. Yep. There you go. The banner. Let me remove the banner. Okay. So this is from the Office of Inspector General. Speaker programs are generally defined as company-sponsored events at which a physician or other healthcare pro- professional, collectively HCP, makes a speech or presentation to other HCPs about a drug or device product or a disease state on behalf of the company. And in the last three years, they've paid almost $2 billion to HCPs for speaker-related services. And these the people the people chosen are um, mm. often high-prescribing HCPs. High-prescribing. They, what they call... Conditioned on sales work. targets. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they are near entertainment venues, like wineries and sports stadiums, at high-end high restaurants. <laughs> Adult entertainment so, facilities. Dang. Oh, I missed that one. Did they have adult entertainment? Oh, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, that Pandora didn't even struck right me here. as something people do. So, um, hold on. So, I'm, wow. OIG skeptical about the educational value of such programs. Skeptical. Well, we all should be. I mean, yeah. So, what's and the, the idea is. Like, are you talking about, not to single out any company, but like DIA, Bio, they well, that's have, the, that's like, the question. hey, come to Bio. If you're already there, we have like at 12 o'clock this CEU event where you get like some. If, if DIA and Bio want to find out, they're welcome to hire me. <laughs> but, but I like that, gen- man. I like that. <laughs> but they, they but probably this is exactly the area. Oh, everyone's still figuring this out. I'm working with CME providers right now and speaker providers right now, and they're going, I don't even know what this means because this is huge. This changes how we do business. This just came out a few years ago. This is is actually old. This is 2020, I believe. Uh, Let me double check. Yeah, November 2020. This one. Central Fraud Alert Speaker Programs. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can pull up the other one. Because I know speaker programs based on other doctors. Can you see this one? Yeah, yeah. But like, what are the, I'm trying to just get like the macro, like, are they talking about speaker programs where there's the whole purpose is let's just talk about our drug and we have these high prescribers coming in and we're paying them and they're going to speak. Or are we talking about like industry conferences where we have sessions or both? Or so you the question, the, the sh- short version is there's lack of clarity on what exactly is regulated and what's not. However, so, so those people who are very conservative will say it applies to any anything where pharma is paying for speakers. Like Dr. Um, Drew would say that. He would say, no, I'm not going to that. Right. For that sure. might be one perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Another perspective on this would be, well, what does that actually mean? It, what if the pharma company is paying, say, SOS for argument's sake? And, and it's for a completely different thing. It has nothing to do with anything. And then SOS has its own conference. Is it still a payment to the doctors to attend 
even though pharma didn't pay for it directly. Now it just got serious there, Sean. I don't know, but you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Now it just got real. No, I don't know. I mean, as a, I think the problem with regulations, and this is yeah probably why you are an expert, is sometimes common sense doesn't mean anything in the eyes of the law. And... You know, we're running this conference, like, let's use our conference as an example. We're running this yeah. conference not to promote drugs or anything, Correct. not even to give continuing education credits, but Correct. we may have a sponsor, like Big Pharma spon- being one of the sponsors. So right. common sense would tell me, hey, you're safe. But then somebody like Evil Darshan might say, well, <laughs> you know. You guys screwed up, and you have money, so let's let's come after you. Look at Rod's comment. I love how vague the FDA is with advice. Here's the interesting part. This is not the FDA. Office of uh, who was it again? OIG Inspector General. Inspector Office of Inspector General is part of HHS. I didn't even know this group. So HHS FDA is one group. Yeah, Um, FDA is part of HHS. OIG is also part of HHS. So they're both agencies within. And Medicare, right? Also. HHS. So CMS is another group under HHS, CMS. correct? Okay. So, yeah. So this is where the, the lawyers are making their money. They're kind of going, how do all these things play together? It's not just FDA, unlike what everyone thinks. I, I've been involved in situations where you're thinking of what is the U.S. Postal Service going to do? You've been because, in this situation. Well, not me specifically, but I meant like I've been oh. asked to give advice in those situations. Very interesting. So, so Ooh. there are all kinds of agencies. DEA, you guys have mentioned more than once here, but Oof. all kinds of agencies okay. get pulled into this. NIH and AHARP and OHARP, and like you've got all of these agencies coming together. Hmm. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess for SOS conference we'll need you there to shed some light on this stuff, even if it's virtually. Like uh sure. Rod was asking why could he not be virtual? Maybe we haven't really decided yet. We we've been selling like crazy though. Hit me up for the secret link. We'll we're gonna make it work. It's only a one day thing is the problem because it's the first one. Next uh twenty twenty five will be two or three days. Um but let's not get ahead of our skis here. So Okay, Darshan, there's a few things I want to end with, you know, uh, here. One of them is you've worked with all kinds of different clients, right, from small sites to big site networks to CRO sponsors, tech vendors, apparently the post office. I mean, who's your favorite? (laughs) What's your favorite type of client for you? I I find for me the clients I'm able to help the most are the ones who are ready to listen to me. And, and that's actually, you would think that'd be everyone, but it's not. <laughs> um, my, my experience is that you have to be relatively well settled in your own, whatever organization you're in. So you'll, you will often get clients who fight you on advice. And those are the, the ones that are the most difficult to deal with because you're not, giving them your opinion. Now you're defending your advice and then you're justifying, you're trying to explain why they're wrong. And then they, they're just going, it's, it's a, it's more contentious than we're both working towards a common goal. And that's the, that's the hardest one for me. So it's less so a, um, who's the perfect client and more so a, who's what, what is the type of client who I can help the most? So that works out really well for me. So it's and a for you, range. For you, like who what's been the approximate percentage breakdown? Those that listen versus those that want to fight with you. <laughs> um when it started, I I would say it was probably eighty percent who'd fight. Now it's <laughs> probably about fifteen percent who'll fight. Ah, is that because you got better at selecting who's gonna be your client or yeah. uh it's yeah. a combination uh-huh. Yeah, you, you'll end up um 
you land up eliminating people because you earlier you'd sort of try to be on your and this this actually applies to sites as much as it applies to me. Um, early on, when you're starting out, you want everyone who'll come to work with you, and that's important and that's essential. But over time, you realize that the amount of effort you spend on the people you don't want to spend that effort with is really not worth it. So you land up becoming more true to who you are. And those people don't want to work with you. And I get that. We're just a bad fit. And that's okay. Um, so in the same way that I kind of go, we're a bad fit. I, I'm happy to tell you um, who might be a better fit for you. In the same way, I think sites should be working with sponsors, for example, and saying, look, I recognize you want all of this. I'm not the one. I'm not going to be the one to give it to you. Not because you're a bad sponsor. I'm a bad site. We're just not compatible. And that'll make well, your might... life so much easier. It does. Yeah. I mean, way to bring it back full circle to where I don't want to work with certain type of studies. And actually, Dr. Hmm. Fox, who's one of the co-founders of the SOS conference. Yeah. He's got a pack. How is Dr. Fox? Dr. Fox. He does. Yes. He's got the a CRPN network. The audacity of this dude. I was like, I still laugh when I think of it. Like the sites are giving a credit score to the sponsors. Like, Wow how times have changed from 2005 when I started. We're like at the mercy right. of these sponsors. Like, whatever you want, we'll do it. Um, here's Rod's, <laughs> Rod's comment leads me to my last topic. Okay, Thank you so much, Darshan, and everyone else for being with us. They keep advice very vague when they put these memos, right? All these agencies. Are these memos? They're not actual regulation. They're guidance. Most of them, so right? So two parts to this. Number one, there, there are two different pieces going on. I'm glad Rod raised it. So me uh, the, these, this fraud alert, for example, we'll call it a memo argument's sake. Uh, can you put it on the screen for a second? There you yeah. go. Um, this fraud alert is, we'll call it a memo for, for the for purposes of right now. They're, they are talking in general because they can't think of every possible scenario, right? That's really difficult because my experience is that if you come up with these clear rules for something someone's going to come up with this new thing you hadn't thought of, and now they're going to go, it's not subject. So they purposefully do keep it general to go, here's the spirit of what we're trying to capture. But to Rod's point about specifics, you then get advisory opinions. And advisory opinions are for a very specific set of facts. And in those very specific set of facts, here's what we would do. So if you're looking for a... um specific answer to your specific question, it's very, very rare to get that unless you're getting an advisory opinion. And you move one set of facts out of it, it doesn't change. And that's where you kind of, this is why lawyers say it depends. And this is why lawyers say there's a risk-based perspective because you will never have a direct answer. You have something that's kind of close. And based <laughs> on the fact that it's kind of close, um, you kind of are going, this is, our best guess based on what we're seeing. Right. And no matter what side you're on, whether you're defending yourself or trying to fight someone, it correct. And lawyers are in <laughs> Exactly. Weird. Exactly. In many but, ways, man. Like, oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. No, the, the, but the best part is, and this is where everyone gets worried and they're like, no, 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 we want regulations because we will know what we can and cannot do. There is a Supreme Court decision, and I think it was from Fox v. FCC. So I think this was a, a Janet Jackson nipple slip case um, going back to, I want to say, like 2005 or something. But essentially what it came out and said was um, if they don't tell you what not to do, they can't punish you for doing it. The government cannot punish you for doing it. I see. So if you get too many specifics, then you know you can't do something. If you get generalities to the extent you have a little bit of wiggle room, that's what gives you the, here's what we're allowed to do. Here's the spirit of the law. Is this reasonable? And that's where you're trying to come up with reasonable boundaries. So don't ask for regulations when you don't necessarily need them. But that doesn't mean you still can't get sued, right? Oh, I, I was involved when I, when I clerked. I was involved in a situation where I think... Wells Fargo, Batman, Superman, and the president of the United States were sued because some guy couldn't use use a bathroom or something. You can get sued for anything. 
like the is somebody in charge of saying now this is frivolous like it's we're not going to honor this lawsuit or like so if you get sued you get sued and that's it so you get sued you get sued however um like i said I've, i've been in situations where you're suing batman um and if if you are suing batman the big question becomes okay what is batman give you so you file what's called a 12b6 motion basically i think it's a 12b6 i don't do litigation but uh it, it's failure to state a claim so essentially going let's assume arguendo let, you assume all the facts are in your favor even if you could not use the bathroom how is batman going to be able to give you anything so since i cannot figure out as a judge how mm. to give you a um, a response. I have to throw throw this lawsuit out because there's nothing here I can help you with. I see. I see. And then DC Comics doesn't have to address it, <laughs> right? Or... No, DC Comics does not get pulled into that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, as long as there's some semblance of sanity, I think that's good. Um, okay. So actually, Rod's thing leads me to my last last topic. Go ahead. I wanted to get your advice because I subscribe to your YouTube. I subscribed to your podcast. I missed that Insus one for some reason, but I've there are seen, like five of them. Yeah, I know. I've seen ChatGPT <laughs> on there. Oh, there recently. you go. Okay, I want to get yeah. into that, man. They're saying, and by their they, I just I'm being vague because I don't have a direct answer. They're saying sure. that ChatGPT eventually is going to replace. You know, everyone before AI became reality, everyone thought, oh, all the low wage jobs you know because of automation well sure like mcdonald's workers we're already seeing that but the real fear is now the new fear is it's actually some of these high wage like mr kulkarni himself like is that why you're doing software because like as a kind of response to the times do you think chat gpt will eventually replace an attorney like my job yeah. Um, <laughs> so a few different things, a few different responses. Um, number one, uh, for those of you who haven't used ChatGPT3, go use it because it'll give you a sense of what this thing can actually do. It's really quite impressive. Um, the, In fact, for those, you might enjoy this, uh, Dan, because they actually landed up running a quote-unquote clinical trial where a... Uh, so a chat bot was used to give psychotherapy advice to I think it was like 4,000 people to see if it can replace human psychotherapists. I don't believe they got IRB approval before doing that. So they didn't actually know that they're using a behavioral chat bot. Um, mm. So all kinds of issues with that. But but the point, wow. um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, well, if they were marketing but- it as psychotherapy, but they were marketing as a clinical trial. So they thought I, I, I didn't look into the details of it. Yeah. I just thought that was in either scenario that's problematic in, in wow. many different ways. I, and I didn't look into the details, so maybe there are more details that explain how this all got worked out. Um, but I, I thought that was fascinating. Um, the, the second piece of this was um, is it going to I used it and it's it gets a lot of facts right. I'd say it gets about 70% of the facts right. Uh, which is great for 70% of the things. I like to think that the value is in the additional 30%. And you don't know as the average person uh, which 30% is wrong. Right. So it's it's sort of like um, when, when you go to WebMD to get a diagnosis. And it always tells you you have – like cancer is one of you're the options. Die. Yeah. That it all roads <laughs> lead to you're going to die. Yeah, and that's why you need someone who's going to guide you. That's not to say that it doesn't give you some level of, okay, I have a sense of what's going on. I've used ChatGPT3 sometimes to like create a clause that I need, but it doesn't replace what I do at all because that clause then needs to be adapted, amended. You may remember I actually oh, – actually, I don't know if, I, if you may remember this. Uh, I actually tried doing automation of contracts at one point just to keep uh, costs low for a lot of my sites. Yeah, I think you brought that uh, up like a few years back. Yeah, yeah. It failed because every single situation, it needed to be amended and sort of customized. So that level of customization, at least at this moment, 
is not something ChatGPT3 can do. It's possible version 4, version 5, or version 6 may be able to do it. Um, but that's the future. Yeah. Um, we, all, we all need to be paying. I mean, that's a separate hour-long podcast. I know you get at 10 a.m., Darshan. So I thank you yeah. for being on. Everybody, go follow him right now. What's wrong <laughs> with you if you're not? Go follow Darshan. Yes, he will be at SOS in some capacity. Um, I will try. Darshan, Darshan Talks. Talks is the podcast. His LinkedIn is underneath this video and in the show notes. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, Darshan. Don't be late for your call, man. I'm sorry to keep you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. No, this was awesome. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.